We are super excited, pun intended, to welcome our newest sponsor, Supergirl. That's S-O-U-P-E-R-G-I-R-L. Supergirl is a kosher women-founded food delivery business. All of their soups are delicious, plant-based, and available for delivery throughout the U.S. except Alaska and Hawaii. Sorry to our Alaskan and Hawaiian listeners. Hopefully that will be delivered to you soon. In the meantime, those of you who want to try Supergirl, they have kindly offered our listeners a 20% discount. Just enter the code RUN20 at checkout to receive 20% off your subscription. I've been a Supergirl subscriber for a number of years. And what's really nice is that you can adjust your subscription depending on what's going on during the week. There's no obligation. You're not locked in for months or a year or anything like that. My favorite soups during the summer are the gazpachos. They are delicious, and uh, I just love their soups. They're healthy, plant-based, kosher, and it's really nice to know you're supporting a local business that ships nationwide. So give Supergirl a try. You won't regret it. And thanks so much to Supergirl for sponsoring our podcast. While we pay a lot of attention to the shoes that we wear during our runs, what we put on our feet after our runs is just as important. That's why we love Ufo's recovery shoes. As a recovery product, Ufo's absorb 37% more impact than traditional footwear, which helps your feet, your ankles, your hips, and lower back recover faster. So while slipping into your favorite pair of Ufo's after a hard workout gives you that ooh and ah feeling, you can wear them all day long. We wear ours around the house, while working from home at our stand-up desk, or even out and about running errands. Check out the Ufo's line at www.ufos.com. Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? Doing well. So this week marked the 100 days until Boston date. Um, so yeah. Uh, it as, feels uh, so weird because we're in the middle of summer. And so I know this is like, we've talked about this before, but what a weird year to be training uh, for Boston through the summer. And I know a lot of our runners are feeling a little bit out of sorts as well. Um, we have some runners that live in hotter areas of the country. We have a runner who just uh, moved to Florida and she was saying that training for Boston through the summer in Florida is not very motivating to her. And she's, um, you know, interestingly kind of shifting her goals to just, um, just finish, just be able to go in October and, and, you know, check off running Boston versus um, really training with a focus, which she said she'll get back to for April of 2022 for April when, when she can train through the winter again, which again, in Florida is still warmer weather, but training through the summer in Florida is, is uh, really difficult and, and demotivating too. So I, I think a lot of us are feeling that, you know, we don't live in Florida, but we certainly have had, this week has been our hottest week of the year so far. And uh, across the board, all of our runners have been telling us all week, I feel awful. I feel my legs feel tired. I'm fatigued. I'm, um, you know, I just don't feel great. And uh, it, it can be discouraging, but we have to keep remembering it's, it is the heat and, um, you know, getting out there and getting in the miles at a slower pace and just getting them in is, is helping improve our fitness and helping us get toward that October marathon, which hopefully will be the only time Boston's in October. Yes. And hopefully Boston won't be as hot. My gosh, if I had to run a marathon in these conditions this week, wait, actually we did. That was in 2012 and that sucked. <laughs> they just posted pictures on the Boston Facebook page from that, um, from that, that year. And it was like, you could just feel it in the, there were pictures of, you know, neighbors spraying down the runners and you could just feel that 
that heat, right? So we we have none. That wasn't as hot as, as as it is right now. That was only in the '80s. But yeah, we don't we don't want those conditions. Where you know, we talked to Dave McGilvery last week about the the weather conditions in Boston in October, and they're pretty much the same as they are in April. They could be anything. So it, I, I personally think that um, training through the summer for a fall race is better than training through the winter for a spring race that could potentially be hot and we have, we're not acclimated at all. So that's sort of how I'm looking at it is the worst part of this. The hardest part is going to be the training. Hopefully the race will be the reward and we'll feel great and strong from all of our, our summer training. So comparatively speaking, it will feel great. Um, but that's, it's, it's, it's hard. And like I said, a lot of our runners have told us, you know, their motivation is waning um, to get up and get in these runs when it's just so humid and hot in the morning. So a um, couple different things we recommend, first of all, earlier you can go the better. It's a little bit more humid earlier, but if um, the sun is lower in the sky, you're, you've got more shade to run in, um, slowing your pace, uh, making sure you've got stops along the way to refill your water. Um, so whether that be at a gas station or water fountains that are hopefully back on now or back at your house um, and, and just getting in and getting done what you can and, and really um, looking at the, the time on your feet. So maybe if your long run is typically two and a half hours and it that's you know a 15 or 16 mile long run, but your two and a half hours is now netting you 14 miles or 13 miles. It's okay. Don't pay attention so much to the miles, but the, the time on your feet. That's a great point. It's it's quite exhausting to run in heat and humidity. And so it takes its toll on, it, on your body. So the training effect of running 14 miles, same amount of time as running, you know, 16 miles in cooler temperatures is about the same. And also not to diminish though, summer, summer running, there's something very pleasurable about it, pre pleasurable about it too. So try to be positive. I mean, Winter running is such a drag when you have to wake up extra early to run because you need time to put on all your layers. Uh, that it's feeling you have when, when you go out it's dark. Yeah. Back in your cold. I know we're both summer warm weather runners, so this is easy for us to say, but I would much rather walk out my door in the morning to some like heat and humidity than, um, than frostbite and like freezing cold temperatures. So that's just a preference I think we both have. We know that our bodies don't work as well in that really cold start. Um, so I agree with, I actually, and you know what I love is I love when you go out early in a, a summer morning and it's just that quietness of the summer morning with the sun coming up early and um, it's, it's, I, I personally like it, but, um, but a lot of people, it's, you know, struggle in it. I love it too. I think also there's an unrelated reason why I like summer running and I kind of figure, figured it out recently is that we aren't as rushed in the summer to get back because the kids aren't in school. And while certainly we continue to work through the summer, it's a different feeling um, to not have that layer of scheduling on us. We're not as exhausted from doing a lot of shuttling and things like that at night. So at least right now during summer break, um, even though the running is challenging due to the weather, mentally I'm more relaxed. And I feel like there is quite a benefit to that. Uh, also, there are just more people willing to run in the summer, I feel like, even though it's hotter, there are a lot of people that don't enjoy winter running and therefore do other things inside. So I find myself seeing a lot more people out running into friends who are more casual runners and not necessarily training, but still out there running. And it's, it's just fun to see people. So um, yeah, I, I think there are a lot of benefits and, and I, but we also really empathize with those who are just feeling really uh, weighed down from this heat. And there are some controllables though that we can all do to improve our summer running. And we've talked about a lot of these, but it's worth a reminder. And one is um, hydration. Make sure that no matter how busy you are, stay hydrated through the day. And you've heard this a million times listeners, but 
to, to my point, there are probably a lot of days when you think you're hydrated, but then you realize, wait, I haven't really gone to the bathroom that much today. Or, um, wait, you know, my, my pee is not clearing copious, which is one of the litmus tests we, we use to tell runners to see if they're hydrated. But particularly if you are a heavy sweater, especially a salty sweater, make sure you get some sodium in your body. Make sure before you go to bed, um, drink like 12 ounces of water a couple hours before bed with uh, a little bit of sodium, some electrolytes in that water. We always like noon tablets. And in fact, noon has noon rest tablets, which um, have magnesium in them and um, supposedly relax you. I don't know if it works, but drink some noon before bed, uh, 12 to 16 ounces, not too close to bed, obviously, but that will allow you to prehydrate and then drink before your run. And if you're doing a shorter run, you don't necessarily have to carry always, you know, a big bottle of water with you. But if you are a heavy sweater and you find that it's very hard to manage your hydration throughout the day after a run, all, even if you are able to get away with running without water, bring your water, put it somewhere, pick it up, run a loop, get your water, as you just mentioned, Lisa. But it's really important that we take care of ourselves outside of running so that we are properly fueled and ready to go. And to that end, um, you and I were talking before we started recording about nutrition and a lot of us just aren't as hungry in the summer it's hard to to eat the foods that we're supposed to be eating and enough calories to support all the running we're doing because we are now deep into our training uh, with less than three months to go we're all running longer runs and we need to fuel our bodies and sometimes in the summer especially on these hot and humid days our appetites are suppressed and as a result we may not realize that we haven't eaten enough so Get calories in the form of liquids. I don't mean to segue into one of our sponsors, but I will. That's why we are super excited that Supergirl is one of our sponsors because that is something that we we both love soups. And so cold soups um, like gazpachos that you are able to hydrate with and eat and have some food. And while it doesn't have a lot of protein, it does provide some of the essential vegetables that we should be eating. There's sodium in them and of course, hydration. So watermelon is also a great hydrating food source. Um, peaches are great this time of year. Just really be mindful of eating foods that taste good to you that will allow you to fuel your body. You don't have to make a giant meal for yourself, but just eating throughout the day to make sure you get enough calories. And if you're someone that feels like, well, I already eat enough and I really don't, don't feel like that's a problem, but then you go out to run and you feel really depleted, step back and look at your fueling. Are you eating the right foods to fuel? If you're fueling with a lot of like processed foods, junky foods, we're not saying don't eat those, but don't solely fuel with those. And that's really easy to do if you're spending a lot of time on the go at the pool with the kids in the summer, bringing portable snacks, just really take care of yourselves and know that the things we're putting in our bodies will help us on these runs, even on these hot days where it seems like it's impossible to go any faster. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and just speaking about nutrition and our long runs, now is a really good time to be practicing your fueling on your long runs and on um, really on maybe a midweek tempo run where you've got some faster miles in it because our bodies also process fuel differently in the heat. And if race day turns out to be warmer, um, you want to make sure that that your body is, is accustomed to processing the fuel in those conditions because your body in the heat is also putting resources into keeping your core cool and keeping your vital organs cool. Um, so that diverts blood flow away from your GI tract and your GI system. So you may not be able to digest certain foods as well as you would on ideal conditions. So, um, and again, you know, even on our, on our 
longer runs we're maybe not feeling hungry because it's hot out and it's really hard to fuel but uh, again it's really this is the important time to be training our bodies to fuel not just to to get the miles in in the running yeah great point and next up on our podcast we actually have nancy clark who uh did a wonderful presentation for our group of runners who are training for Boston, our virtual group training program, RFF to BOS, and of course also our virtual coaching clients were on the call and uh, with Nancy's permission, we um, are sharing it as our recording of our guest this week because the information that Nancy provided in a discussion format is truly invaluable and it's, it's really worth a listen, especially for anyone who just needs a reminder as to why fueling is so important and why we don't need to be as particular about our fueling. We'll let her explain. And Nancy's been a guest on our podcast before. She is the greatest of all time dietitians, all of the dietitians that we love, that we go to as a resource, like Amy Goldsmith are the dietitians who rely on Nancy Clark because she's kind of the, the founder of sports nutrition. She's been doing it for quite a long time. And she's a really nice uh, balanced approach to how to how to go about our nutrition, and we just really appreciated her feedback and candor, and that's why we wanted to um, make this recording available to everyone else. But aside from nutrition, Lisa, you and I were talking earlier about the importance of using other resources to support our running. So I'll give an example, and then I'll, I'll I would love for you to give an example, Lisa. But um, sometimes when we're when we're going through training and we're feeling extra fatigued, it may have nothing to do with our actual running and fueling. It may have to do with something outside of our running, like a struggle, like, like a, something going on in our lives, an external stress that running can't necessarily resolve. And we've had a, a few therapists on our podcast in the past. We've had some mental health experts on our podcast in the past, but this is just a reminder to everyone out there that, you know, we just went through something really tough. And just because it, things are starting to return to normal and feel much more normal than any recent time, we still are processing what happened. So it's okay to take a look at the big picture and, and seek out some therapy. And sometimes we're not sure if that's what we need, but if you're looking at how you're performing athletically and just things aren't really going well, but you aren't injured and you feel like you're doing all the right things, maybe you're not sleeping well, but maybe that's attributable to something going on with your mental health. It's, it's just worth exploring, especially now um, before things get more hectic in the fall for most people. This is a really good time um, to explore talking to someone if you feel like that, that would be something that is the missing piece to your overall health. Yeah, that's a great example, and I think we often underestimate how much um, stress and um, you know, and, and especially the stress of the last year and year and a half um, play into our training and how we feel generally. So you know, yes, it could be the heat, it could be nutrition, it could be your sleep, but um, mental health is really important and um, something to to pay attention to to make sure you've kind of checked that box. Um, I, I think the same goes for. Um, Nutrition is a good example. This is a good time to take stock of like, what take a step back again, what does my nutrition look like? And again, we've said this before, but the dietitians we work with universally tell us that um, marathoners especially really underestimate their nutritional needs and what they're getting. So, um, and especially now that our mileage is getting up, we're starting to get toward the peak toward, as we get closer to Boston. Um, <clears throat> 
lot of people will start doing kind of their longer long runs coming up in the next two to four weeks, starting that process. So um, you've got to adjust your nutrition accordingly. So calling in a, a dietitian, and again, we're going to have Nancy Clark up next. And Nancy is a registered dietitian and also certified in sports dietetics. So that's a CSSD, I think, um, certification. And if you're looking for somebody, um, a, a resource there, that's what you want to look for are those, are those credentials um, because uh, the, the term nutritionist is not regulated and you don't know what kind of experience or knowledge that you're getting with that. So you really want to make sure just like any other expert, like if you're checking out a coach, you're going to see what your coaching credentials are and what experience they have and what kind of athletes they're experienced with. Um, if you're looking for a physician, a doctor, an orthopedist, you know, you're going to look at, do they, do they work with runners? Do they understand runners? Um, same thing with a dietitian. Are, are they, are they experienced with athletes and, and with runners? So that's really important. And then the other thing too, I think, um, that we can start to think about now is um, uh, recovery is really important. And part of that can be massage. And if you're in a position where you can um, set up a massage even once a month, um, I know that many cities and here included in Frederick, in Frederick, Maryland have massage therapy schools where you can actually go and uh, get on their list for their students to, to work on you. They're supervised by, by their, by their, by their, instructors and by uh, certified massage therapists and they could be like 10 bucks for a massage because they're just they're practicing it's like the last part of their training so if you can find a massage therapy school near you um, that's a good inexpensive way to get some some massage and that's um, you know Rachel Miller who we work with as a physical therapist always says like if everyone could afford it having a massage once a week would be such a great way to stay recovered and take care of your body now that's not practical for most of us but if you can start getting you know once a month getting a massage that's another like you said kind of outsourcing um, that part of your training. Yeah, so you mentioned recovery, and in general, that's another, I'm glad you mentioned that, because that's another comment that um, I just wanted to touch on, another topic, rather, and that is uh, sometimes it takes us longer to recover from bigger workouts in the summer, as we keep mentioning, heat and humidity depletes us, and of, of course, that makes sense, then, that perhaps, generally, it might take someone two days of recovery after a big speed workout to feel back to normal again, or after a long run, maybe usually it takes you one to two days to recover, but you're finding you're still depleted from your long run um, one or two days after that. Number one, that means slow down. But number two, that means simply, yeah, you might need a little more recovery. So don't hesitate to adjust your schedule on your own or talk to your coach and say, you know what, while I normally do speed work on Tuesday, I'm still feeling pretty depleted from my Saturday long run because it was super hot. So why don't we move this around? We are not machines. Uh, we, we sometimes, <laughs> our bodies don't know what our schedule says on final surge. And sometimes we just don't recover as efficiently as we would like according to the plan. But that doesn't mean that you are behind. It just means that you're honoring your body and we have talked about this a lot, but making sure that you can recover fully is the best way to train because all of the training gains happen in recovery. All of the gains happen in sleep. And if we're always fighting recovery to get to the next workout, then we're not getting any of the benefits of the workout we just did. So um, really don't try to squeeze everything in and, and really honor what your body can do. And speaking of which, 
uh, don't compare yourself to other people. While it's great to have training partners and people to run with, everyone is different and everyone responds to training differently and responds to the heat differently. And we're all starting from different places. A lot of us ran through the pandemic easy pace, but not very long. Some people ran a lot of miles. Some people ran very little. So for everybody to be doing the exact same training plan right now to prepare for a race in September, October, whatever marathon, half marathon you're training for, that really wouldn't make sense, would it? Because maybe someone has a consistent base mileage every month of 160 miles where someone else has a consistent base mileage of 70 or 80 miles. And that's a big difference. So make sure that you recognize that it's okay to, to do something different than what others are doing, because you want to make sure most importantly, that you get to your start line healthy and ready to race. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, I think we should turn it over to Nancy, who, um, although she spoke to our Boston uh, our group of runners training for Boston and some of our runners training for fall marathons, what she has to say and her advice is applicable to any of us who are trying to fuel our training and um, really just our lives. I, like you said, she's really got a balanced perspective. And so even if you're not training for a marathon and you don't have that on your, on your list for this fall, uh, I think that you'll get a lot of really good, our listeners will get a lot of really good um, nuggets out of this. I know I walked away and not to give anything away what she says, but I walked away um, vowing to go um, to make more eggs and to go buy um, some, some enriched cereal again. So, and, and we'll hear why those are, you know, those are good things to add to our, our diets, but enriched cereal being like, you're just your regular, like um, frosted flakes or Cheerios, not your, you know, organic brands that don't have anything added to them. So we'll hear why, but those, you know, I walked away with some valuable piece of information that had nothing to do with training for a marathon, just more about my, my nutrition and getting in the, the nutrients that I need. I just love her. I feel like she really simplifies everything. I always appreciate what she has to say. I think she's terrific. Um, so really quick before we go, we almost forgot we're doing a giveaway um, with our newest sponsor, Supergirl. They have offered to allow us to give away um, six of their delicious soups. And uh, we're going to do it as a contest. And all we're asking our listeners to do is please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts for us. Uh, we're finding that the Apple Podcasts change their algorithm yet again, and it's, it's a little bit hard to find us. So if we get a few more reviews, we should be uh, searchable a little bit a little bit more searchable again. And so we want folks to find us and we appreciate your support. We are so grateful that people listen and we always appreciate feedback and suggestions for guests. We, we take it, we listen to it and we try to deliver. So we just ask if you haven't already to leave an Apple um, podcast review or wherever you listen. And if you've already left a review, they won't let you leave another just send us an email and let us know you left a review and you will enter to win um, the soups. And if you leave a review for us, thank you very much. Just send us an email, a DM or any, any other way you want to get in touch with us. There's many ways through social media as well. And we will enter your name to win the soups. So Lisa, I hope you have a great week. Julie, I hope you do too. Bye. Bye. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you. Well, thank you for inviting me. A, a question for you. How many of the runners that are doing Boston are new to marathoning? Not many. We have a couple that it's their first Boston, but most on here are experienced marathoners. All right. When it comes to fueling for a marathon, I mean, you can only do 
the marathon at your best if you can train at your best. And in order to train at your best, you either you're either fueling up or you're refueling. It's it's one or one or one or the other. And so it's important to recognize that food is fuel. And I find that so many marathoners see, oh, food is fattening. And if I'm lighter, of course, I'll be the better runner. So I've just got to lose this weight. And then they exercise on empty and then they run out of energy. And then afterwards they're starving and they eat everything in sight and then they get mad at themselves and then they go back and restrict food. And it's, it's this vicious, vicious cycle. So I invite you to know that food is fuel and you're either fueling up or you're refueling, it's one or the other. And if you want to lose weight, the only time is to do that at nighttime when you're sleeping, but you don't try to, to diet when you're, when you're running. Um, in terms of what to eat, you know, there's so much chatter about, oh, carbs are fattening, I should um, eat more protein, I should have fewer carbs. And the reality is, is that it's the grains and fruits and vegetables that really fuel your muscles and protein builds and repairs muscles so that you want to be thinking carb protein combinations, but actually with three times more carbs than protein. So that means that you have rice with stir fried chicken and lots of veggies that you have, you know, oatmeal with a couple of hard boiled eggs on the side as opposed to a big cheese omelet or whatever. So the word carbohydrate is very tainted and it just has such a bad reputation that it doesn't deserve. So I always try to get my clients to think about grains, fruits, vegetables, and how those sources of carbohydrate are, are really important on a daily basis. And again, when you're fueling up or when you're refueling, those should be the foundation of what you're eating. What I find <clears throat> these days is that many people after a long run, they have a protein shake. And it's like, well, protein fills your stomach. It builds and repairs your muscles. It doesn't refuel your muscles. And so that they're recovering poorly and they come in complaining about needless fatigue. Um, so I, I just want to sort of give you um, warnings about about that. Now, um, let me just see, should I open? Yeah. So I was given a whole bunch of questions. Any questions or comments on what I've said so far? No. So if most of you are, are experienced runners, um, I'll sort of jump into your questions and then we, we can um, figure out things from there. So the question is, do I still recommend 60 grams of carb per hour during the marathon? Some of that depends on your body weight, but in general, yes. I mean, 60 grams of carb is 240 calories. There are 44 calories per gram of carbohydrate. And the research suggests 240 even to 360 grams of carbohydrate per hour. And some of that depends on your body size. Um, a larger person needs more fuel than a smaller person. You know, a Hummer needs more gas than the Mini Cooper. So you need to practice this during training. Now, the thing is, this person says, I'm usually eating one gel every 45 minutes or so. So that means um, 
200 calorie, gel is 100 calories. Well, and every hour and a half, you're getting 200 calories. So it's sort of short. Um, I would say one, do you really wanna use gels? And to know that any type of food works. Some people like Skittles, other people like marshmallows, some people like gummy bears, some people like gels, some people like sports drinks, some people like honey. I mean, there are many ways to get the fuel that you need. Um, the gels are pre-wrapped, convenient. Um, but if you're really relying on them for the whole marathon, many times people get sugared out. And that, like the thought of that second or third gel is like, ugh. And if they're having sports drink too, they can just get sugared out. So I invite you to experiment with a variety of fuels and to know that maybe um, you want to have combinations of honey, um, maple syrup, Skittles, goose, chomps. It's, it's all sugar in one, one form or the other, and, and it works. Um, does anybody have any favorite foods that they use during runs? I'd, I'd love to get this more of a discussion than just the lecture. So anyone want to chime in and what they've learned? Um, I just added, I put in the chat, I really like personally dates. Um, obviously that's something you have to practice with because dates do have a little bit of fiber, but they are really satisfying and they, they're rich. So they just have a different texture than a sugary um, mm -hmm. source of nutrition. So I, I like those sometimes. Um, I've filled them a little bit with peanut butter and I've, I just find that to be very satisfying when I'm sick of all the sugars. Precisely. And to have peanut butter with the dates, like I say, it's just a, a flavor change. Um, so uh, here's somebody else says that they're a fan of you can and doesn't upset her stomach. Um, and I asked, what do I think of um, the Martins? I, I, I'm not familiar with that. So I, maybe somebody has, if you're reading the chats along with us, maybe somebody can voice an opinion on that. I can say with the Mortons, I think it's a texture issue. The Mortons are a little runnier. Mm -hmm. So for some folks, that's better. For some folks, that's really um, less satisfying. I know for me personally, I, I don't enjoy the texture of the Mortons. Um, they make me a little nauseous. But that's why we have to try things in training because everyone's different. So if Mortons works for you and you like it and it goes down easily, by all means, give it a try. Yeah, there's not a right or a wrong to any of this. The key is your body needs fuel. You need to prevent your blood sugar from dropping. You need to prevent dehydration. And there are many ways to do that. A sports drink, it gives you water and carbs in one you know, slurp. Um, some people like you know, dried pineapple plus water. Other people like watermelon, which is water and carbs. I mean, there's just so many different options, but it's convenience, it's carrying it, um, but it's learning, learning your body. And I know, I remember in one marathon, I said, I wonder how long it'll take me to get sugared out. And after two gels and sports drinks, I'd head it. And there were like two more hours of running to go. So I'm glad that I brought with me, you know, yummy things like you know, during a marathon, I want something that's yummy. 
So I have a cast iron stomach, you know, Milky Ways, those little, um, you know, fun size Milky Ways are yummy. Um, peppermint patties are good. Um, you know, chocolate chip cookies are okay. I mean, and, and so just know that this is what you have to look forward to. And if you're tired of the commercial foods, um, your, your body welcomes food that it's more accustomed to. Um, so does that answer the question but about um, fueling during? Nancy, I have a question. Um, what do you say to those who um, may not be um, used to the promotion of uh, processed foods like Milky Ways and Skittles during a marathon? Um, you know, there's definitely those who would look at, hear that and maybe say, well, I don't, I don't understand why I should recommend that. That's processed. It's junk food. Why would I want to put that in my body when I'm fueling for a marathon? So can you speak about that and, 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 and how that works and why it's okay to sugar it up a little? Sugar it up a little. Um, yeah. Is, is, is a Milky Way junk food? Um, the question is, there's not a good food or a bad food there's a balanced diet and an unbalanced diet. During a marathon, we're talking survival. We are not talking good nutrition. But even if we are talking good nutrition, is there something wrong with having some fun food? I mean, the, the goal is 85 to 90% quality foods, 10 to 15% whatever. So you need not eat a perfect diet to have an excellent diet. And the bottom line is, is that during a marathon, any fuel is better than no fuel. Um, and the difference in nutritional value between a Milky Way and a Chomp or a Goo, I mean, probably the Milky Way comes up ahead of the game because it's got some chocolate in it. <laughs> and so I'd say nutrition wise, it's probably more nourishing. Um, but I can say that because my body, I have a cast iron stomach. I've learned by um, one, training my body to have food in it. And two, I mean, just different, just biologically, some people can tolerate food while they're exercising and others just have a hard time with it. But it's practicing during training, it's experimenting, it's being curious. It's like, I wonder what really helped me fuel better. Would yet another gel do it? Or would maybe, uh, you know, an Oreo? Um, so the guidelines are 10% of calories can come from refined sugar. So if you're marathon training, if you're doing a long run, you're out there burning off 2000 calories. I mean, you, you really don't need to worry about sugar because that is what any food that you eat digests into sugar, your blood sugar, your blood glucose. And that is what fuels your muscles. That is what the body wants. So there's a little bit of difference between talking about Milky Ways during a long run and having, you know, eating the whole bowl of Halloween candy, you know, for several dinners in a row. So we got to put things in perspective. Yeah. Comments on that or questions on that? Nancy, did you see there's a question about any thoughts on being fat adapted and being able to convert fat to energy? So we're talking about carbs and providing yeah. energy, but what about fat adapted? Well, as you train, you adapt to burning more fat. It's just part, it's something that happens when people train. There have been lots of studies, you know, 
when you look at the well control studies with the keto athletes that are fat adapted, you can you can run just as well on a keto diet, but not better. You know, fat takes more oxygen to metabolize. So if you're relying on oxygen and huffing and puffing, you're at a real disadvantage if you're if you're relying on burning fat. So carbohydrate is the preferred fuel. And if you need to sprint, again, you need more carbohydrates and the fat, like say, it demands more oxygen. So it's just, it's not the fuel that's going to enhance performance. You might be able to perform as well as, but I question if you'll be able to perform better than. I mean, that's what the research is showing. Um, again, each person's body is different. There's never a right or a wrong. There's always a conversation to this. So, so Sean, maybe you can talk about your experiences with fat ad adaptation. Yeah, well, so I, I've just, uh, I mean, I've, I'm sucking all of this in and uh, interested in hearing about um, what other experiences have been. I was actually just joking with Zach Hawkins, because we're, we're both on this call that um, I think a Snickers is in my future because whatever I've done hasn't worked for me to get to Boston yet. And uh, that's where I want to get. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm open to anything at this point. So what, what have you done that hasn't worked? Uh, well, so I have absolutely learned my lesson about not being fueled on the marathon and hitting the wall at between mile 15 and 17. I know for me, what works is trying to consume calories every 30 minutes. I stay away from the sports drinks and just go with gels, whether it's hammers or it's goose or it's, uh, um, some other product that's out there. Um, I found that I kind of need to stay away from the caffeine. I don't like what, uh, what that causes me to have to do midway through the run, but. Yeah. And um, that's your, that's your body. And, it, um, and you've learned what works for you. Yeah. So that's good. That's, that, that's good. But from a, that? yeah, from a, from a, like being fat adapted or whatever, I, I, I have liked um, going out and not having anything in my stomach when I go out for my morning runs. Um, sometimes I'll go out with some peanut butter toast or something like that, but it's just a little bit easier. And I feel like, um, gives me a little bit more, um, mental toughness. It's, it's for me, it's just more of a mental thing to be able to go out and run an hour and a half without it. But I do like to go out and use the gels. Thanks. Yeah. And the research shows that to run empty, maybe once or twice a week, might have some advantages in, in enhancing fat adaptation. But um, the other thing is I'd sort of reserve, well, some of that depends on how, how fast, a, how elite a runner you are. I mean, if you're just running your first marathon, you're, you've really got to focus more on just finishing it. And it's not as though you're going to be, you know, winning the Olympics. Um, so to run empty is no fun. And for newer runners that think, oh, I should be running empty. It's like, no, you should be learning how to enjoy the sport. And again, you're either fueling up or you're refueling. Um, so I would encourage people to 
always to have something before they run because you need to train your intestinal tract to be able to tolerate food. And so many people run on empty except for their long run, but their body doesn't really adapt to having that much food in it. And that can put them at a disadvantage. So there, there are many different perspectives. And like I say, each person's unique. You're an experiment sure. of one, go out and experiment. Yeah. Um, but burning fat, if weight is an issue, it's important to know that burning fat differs from losing body fat. As we're sitting here right now, we're burning fat. Are we losing weight? Well, if we've created a calorie deficit for the whole day, then we might be losing fat, losing weight. But if you're about to go and eat, you know, you know, uh, a couple of cookies or something that can wipe out any calorie deficit and then you aren't gonna lose weight for the day. So just, just know that burning fat does not mean that you will lose body fat. Other questions or comments? Um, so I'm glad that Zach likes Snickers. I like Milky Ways better, um, but each to their own. That's why we practice this during training. Um, Nancy, I, I have a quick comment. Um, back to being fat adaptive and keto, a lot of people um, attempt that for the purpose of weight loss. And can you talk a little bit about um, the marathoner or the runner, for example, who loses some weight and then has a really good training cycle and what can happen after that by trying to lose weight in a marathon or half marathon training cycle and reaping the benefits immediately, but long-term, what can happen? Well, um, many times when people are losing weight, say you take someone, I mean, eating disorders are rampant among runners. And right now I'm working with three or four high school kids that set PRs when they were at their lighter weight. And so say they started at 120 and 120 pounds and they lost weight their junior or senior year, they started setting PRs at this lower rate and then they get injured. The cost of losing weight, the less you eat, the fewer nutrients you consume. When your body goes on, when you go on a diet, your bones go on a diet. So here we have these high school kids dieting, denying their body of valuable nutrients. They might set a PR for a season, maybe two, but then they end up with stress fractures. Um, and then they regain the weight back to their normal weight. The body really defends its genetic blueprint. We're each born with a genetic blueprint and you can lose weight, but that doesn't mean that that's your natural weight. So your body will want to go back to its natural weight. And then they regain the weight that they lost. And they are so convinced that, oh no, I set my PR at this lower weight. That's, I've, I've got to get back down there. I'm just too fat now. I can never run as well again. It's like, no, they, they, they set PRs on their way down because they had their body had adapted to training at a higher weight. So when they were lighter, of course they did lose weight, but what was the cost? A stress fracture or um, tendonitis of some sort. And so you're not good as an athlete if you're sitting on the, on the bench. 
Um, so it's really important to prioritize health over weight and longevity. Um, but once a person has one injury, once you've had one stress fracture, you've opened up the door for another one and another one and another one. And there are so many athletes who have ruined their careers trying to be the thinner athlete because convinced that that would make them run better. What in my, my um, response is, you know, if you did well, poorly fueled, just think how much better you could be well-fueled. And it's the best fueled athlete who's genetically gifted and appropriately trained, that'll be the best athlete. So losing weight at any cost is not gonna help you in the long run. Sure, maybe a season, maybe two, but then the wheels start falling off. You know, there's a wonderful website, it's called the Injured Athletes Club, and they have, you know, blogs and podcasts um, but you hear all these stories of these injured athletes because, you know, when athletes get injured, they, they lose their friends, they lose their social life, they're depressed, there's like, there's no one to talk to. So the Injured Athletes Club was started by these two women had, that had been injured and they, they have a support group of all these athletes have been injured and they help each other. But the stories of people telling how they heal from one injury finally, and then they start running again and they get injured again and just the depression that goes with it. So anyway, don't go there. Um, I would focus more on performance than on weight. And I would trust that when you eat appropriately and exercise appropriately, your body gravitates to an appropriate weight. I mean, even elite runners do not maintain their racing weight 365 days a year. Um, so um, food is fuel, food is health. Um, and you need to protect your vehicle, your body by nourishing it with nutrients and not denying it of the nutrients that it needs for not only for fuel, but also for healing. Nancy, we had a question come up from Zach that was related to another question that was submitted beforehand about eating after a run and whether there's still, um, you know, the tra traditional guidance of eating within 30 to six, like a window after a run. And, and somebody also had the question also about what should we eat, you know, eight to 12 hours after long runs, you know, beyond that. So can you talk a little bit to what we should be eating after our runs for recovery and the timing of that? Yeah. If you read all the ads for these recovery products or whatever, they talk about the window of opportunity and how you need to rapidly refuel. And yes, to optimize recovery, um, your muscles are most receptive. They're like little Pac-Man. So after you run, your muscles are like, where's the carbs to refuel? Where's the protein to build and repair? And, and as time goes on, the, the Pac-Man become slower so that they just become less active in terms of refueling. But rapid refueling is most important if you're exercising within the next six hours. So if you're in a soccer tournament and you have a game at nine in the morning, another game at one in the afternoon, you wanna rapidly refuel. Um, if you're in a track meet and do one event and then an hour later do another event, you wanna rapidly refuel. But if you're doing a long run, and you're not running again for another 24, 48 hours, 
you don't have to rapidly refuel, um, but you do want to listen to your body. Many times after people are on a long run, they're either ravenous and can't wait to eat or else they feel nauseous and don't wanna eat at all. So again, people vary on their response, but the body will talk to you. And many times after a run, people aren't that hungry, you know, until their body temperature cools down and then they become ravenous. So a, a, a weight loss tip or a weight management tip is to eat something soon after your long run. If you swig some chocolate milk, which is an excellent source of carbs to refuel, protein to build and repair, high quality protein. Um, so you have some chocolate milk and then you shower and stretch and then you don't get like the hungry horrors where you just eat everything in sight. So to nip the appetite in the bud before it even blooms can be helpful for weight management. Um, but in, in general, after you exercise, you want some grains and fruits and vegetables to refuel your muscle glycogen. You need watery foods and fluids, and you don't have to drink water per se, but um, yogurt counts as fluid, watermelon is fluid. Um, if you have soup, sometimes people like salty foods, you know, that's fluid. So um, you want carbs, you want fluid. In terms of electrolytes, if you're eating real food, you will get all the electrolytes. Those are just minerals. And, you know, a, a piece of toast has more electrolytes in it than a glass of Gatorade. So a glass of Gatorade, eight ounces of Gatorade has like 110 milligrams of sodium and a piece of bread might have 125 milligrams of sodium. You know, your chocolate milk for recovery that has more sodium than your sports drink does. So don't, I wouldn't worry about electrolytes per se um, because you will just sort of naturally get them. But that said, um, if you're sweating bullets and losing a ton of fluid in training in hot weather, um, you might end up craving salt. There is such a thing as a salt craving. There's not a uh, donut craving or a peanut butter craving, but there is a salt craving. So if you're craving salt, it's because your body needs salt. And the time to consume salt actually is before you run. So if you're going to be out for two or three hours in the heat, you know, have some salty foods beforehand, put extra salt in some oatmeal or eat some pretzels or have um, some chicken noodle soup or something, but just get extra salt into your body because then that will help to retain fluid in your body. And it, it just delays the amount of time that it gets for you to, to um, it delays dehydration. Um, so, um, you know, for the most part, all this electrolyte stuff is, it, I mean, it's a, it's a product, it's a business. Um, it's not bad or wrong, but just be an educated consumer. And I had this one guy come into my office drinking his Gatorade at nine in the morning. I knew he didn't exercise until five in the afternoon. I said, you know, why are you drinking your Gatorade now? And he goes, for the electrolytes. He goes, well, I don't even know what electrolytes are. And they're just minerals. And if you think about it, you know, the public health guideline is eat less salt. <laughs> um, 
but then sports drinks come along. Here have these electrolytes and it's, it's um, like they're magical. I don't know, questions, comments on that? My, uh, many times health conscious runners these days are um, cutting out salt. There's no reason for an athlete to cut out salt. I mean, assuming your, your blood pressure is fine. Um, sometimes people switch from iodized salt to pink Himalayan salt or to kosher salt. And I just want to um, point out that iodized salt, like diamond crystal salt, is, um, has iodine added to it for a reason. And the reason is it helps to prevent goiter, which is a thyroid condition. Your thyroid affects your metabolism. It also impacts fertility and iodine deficiency can easily happen. So a lot of these health conscious 20 year olds and 30 year olds that are eating clean and having their pink Himalayan salt are not getting the iodine that they need if they're not having milk, which is a source of iodine. And if they're not having much seaweed, have seaweed, seaweed or seafood. Um, so commercial food might have a lot of salt in it, but it's not iodized salt. So I just want to put in the plug for, um, you know, diamond crystal and Morton's iodized salt, uh, particularly among women who plan to have children that you don't want to end up having a baby with a birth defect or end up infertile just because of iodine deficiency. Um, I'm, I'm just sort of concerned that iodine was added to salt for a reason, uh, for a public health reason, and it eliminated goiter. And now people are eliminating iodized salt and we're back to ground zero again. Yeah. Questions, comments? Nope. Okay. Another question? I'm sorry. I just put one. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. My name is Katya. And I put a question in there. Uh, I'm right now visiting from Ohio, uh, Maryland, and I have a race on, on Sunday and it's going to be really, really hot. So what I've been doing is practicing. In the morning, I had Gatorade before my breakfast. And then after, I use a product called Drink Element and it's also electrolytes. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know if I should be drinking during the race, the Gatorade or the drink element because the, the drink element is really salty. So I was nervous about that. So How long is I, the race? I just a half marathon. Yeah, so you're gonna be out there, what, two hours? Maybe more with those hills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I doubt there are like 42, the average person has 42 teaspoons of salt in their body. I doubt if you're gonna become sodium depleted during a half marathon. Um, I would advise you to have, you know, if you put, what do you eat before the marathon, before the half marathon? I'm an eater. I don't have any problems eating at all. I have uh, jo Greek yogurt with oatmeal, almonds, and fruits, usually blueberries. And yeah. I get up really, I get up super early, like, a, we're going to get up at four o'clock in the morning too. And then I'm going to digest and take my time. And I'm going to have Gatorade before I eat because I'm, I want to make sure I don't get, you know, I had cramps in three years ago after a marathon. I just had such terrible cramps that fell in the floor and in my calves. So I don't want to experience that again. 
Yeah. So I would say if you start reading the label on Gatorade for sodium and you read the label on yogurt for sodium, you might discover that there's more sodium in yogurt than there is in Gatorade. The amount of Gatorade, sodium in Gatorade is really quite small. It's not to replace the, the salt that you lose when you sweat or it's not to fortify your body with sodium. It's there to enhance fluid absorption and retention. Um, so you'd be better off, you know, eat, eat your yogurt and, and have salted nuts and salted pretzels. I mean, maybe for the race, you have some salted pretzels or something, but to eating some salt and eating salty foods before you run um, would probably give you more sodium than you get in the Gatorade. Um, I mean, Gatorade's not bad or wrong, but if you think it's rich in sodium, you're, you're misinformed. So just sort of do some label reading, see how much sodium there is in an English muffin or in your bread or in, um, I mean, you can put a lot of salt in oatmeal, um, you know, your slice of cheese or something. So just, just start educating yourself about the sodium content of food by reading food labels. And you'll discover that, hmm, you know, food has more electrolytes than these electrolyte drinks do. Yeah, that's great because I really don't like Gatorade at all. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Nancy, what, Nancy, what do you think about the um, like salt stick? Um, I don't know if you ever use that, but it's a you know supplement that has sodium, potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Um, so that you know using that versus a, a Gatorade, and that's easier. It's either a cap or a chew. What do you think about those products? I mean, obviously, you know, like you said, you can get it from food, but if you're trying to get it quickly and concentrated, especially in a race, if you want to carry it with you, what about those products? Yeah, well, if you're going to be out there for three or four hours in the heat, um, when you sweat, you do lose some salt and, you know, to replace it is good. It's questionable whether or not cramping is related to sodium. There are different types of muscle cramps. Generally, I mean, they found that the athletes who cramp, they don't have lower levels of blood sodium um, and and the current thinking that cramping is more related, it's a nervous disorder. Like it's when your muscles get tired and the nerves just aren't, usually the muscles just sort of slide like this, and, but then they get tired and they, the nerves just don't work the way that they should to have them um, muscles slide back and forth. And so that, um, you know, sodium may not be the answer to, may not be, sodium deficiency may not be the cause of cramping and it might not be the solution. But that said, other people have added, you know, use salt stick or other salt things and found that it was really helpful. Again, each person is unique. There are different types of muscle cramps. Um, so my, you know, teaching point is, is that most cramps are due to fatigue and maybe your muscles weren't fully glycogen loaded. If you're like an anti-carb person, um, and not having a lot of pasta or sweet potatoes or oatmeal or bananas or bread or whatever, you might have poorly fueled muscles that get depleted and then they cramp um, more because they're fatigued than due to lack of sodium. Um, will taking in extra sodium hurt you? Um, I'd say practice during training practice during training. So you go out on your log runs and you try your salt stick and see if it helps. And I mean, after, I know that after a marathon, salty foods taste phenomenal. 
I mean, I mean, the most popular recovery foods are probably Coke or Pepsi and Pringles. Um, <laughs> so you get your sugar, you get your caffeine, you get your water and you get your, you know, calories and you get your salt. Um, but um, the body does talk to you. If you crave salt, you need salt. Enjoy some salt. It's okay. Other questions on electrolytes? Nope. Okay. We wanted to take a quick break from the podcast to thank our friends at RNJ Sports for their support. RNJ is our go-to expert on all things running gear related, particularly running shoes. If you've struggled with finding the right shoes, the staff at RNJ can help solve just about any problem or issue. As a small locally owned business, RNJ is heavily involved in and supportive of the local running community. They get runners. They are runners. RNJ has been an enthusiastic supporter of our podcast and our training programs, including our Montgomery County Public Schools program. We are so appreciative of their support. Check them out online at rnj, that's rnjsports.com. Yeah, so the next question was, if you want to touch on, which was related to Katya's question about fueling before, um, somebody had a question about fueling before Boston, because, you know, we wake up early. Uh, it's going to be a little different this year. We're going to be on the buses where we may be required to wear masks and maybe can't eat, and then we're going to get out of a bus and run. So I don't know, maybe you can talk a little bit to how you plan to fuel the morning of a race where you've got that little bit of extra time, and maybe you won't be able to eat on the bus the hour or two before you get on the course. What do you recommend for that type of situation? Well, generally you get on the you you get off the bus with plenty of time before the marathon. So people in normal life, people get hungry every four hours. And so if you need to get up at six in order to get a bus at seven, so you have your breakfast at six, six thirty or whatever. And then before the marathon, you're ready for your lunch. <laughs> and so you, again, you need to have thought this through, but the biggest mistake that people make before Boston is not eating enough because they're used to just having a breakfast and then doing their long run. They aren't used to having breakfast and a lunch and then a long run or a breakfast and a second breakfast or whatever. But just keep in mind that people get hungry every four hours. If you're having breakfast at six by 10, you're probably ready for something to eat breakfast at seven, you know, something to eat at 11, but 11 is when maybe you're starting the marathon. So just carry food with you. If you can't eat it on the bus, you can eat it when you get off the bus. And again, it's training your body uh, to um, accommodate food when you are running. And so you know that you can eat within, you know, an hour of running and that you know what will settle well, how much you can have and what's fun. Nancy, to your point, um, we always notice when we send race prep for Boston, uh, a lot of our first time marathoners balk at the amount of food that we suggest before Boston because it is unique in that it starts um, later in the day and therefore requires more food. So we appreciate that you're treating this like your example in our prior podcast where you talk about buckets and how you have buckets for each meal. And if you don't want to think of it as a meal, think of it as a mid-morning snack. So with respect to Boston, because you have to get up so early, bucket one could be the very early 
early breakfast. Mm -hmm. And bucket two could be either an early lunch or a second late breakfast. But um, we appreciate that you touch on it because it is something we need to practice and it is unusual. So for someone who's getting race prep from us for the first time, it looks like an inordinate amount of food, but it's just based on the timing of the race. Correct. Correct. And that is where when you're doing some of your long runs, ideally you practice getting up at six and having a breakfast, then having another breakfast at 10 and running at 11. But that would put you in the middle of all the summer heat, which you don't want to do. So you're kind of between a rock and a hard place. Um, but just be thinking about this. And how are you going to manage it? Um, it's the people that don't even think about it are the ones that get into trouble. It's like, oh, you know, I just have a bagel and peanut butter before a marathon. And they don't think beyond that. Um, so that we're just giving you things to think about. And so that you can start doing some mental preparation. Yeah. Next question. Um, Nancy, there were a couple of questions that we had um, submitted about, um, you know, specific to women and iron consumption and iron supplements. Um, I know one was um, that they had heard that um, calcium in, in, in conjunction with iron, that the calcium binds to iron and prevents its absorption. And another question about, um, you know, should we, as women uh, runners, take, uh, you know, multivitamins with iron? Um, you know, so you want, can you talk a little bit about iron and iron consumption and the importance of, of iron in our, in our diets? Sure. Iron helps transport oxygen from your lungs to your muscles. So if you have iron poor blood, if you're anemic, you're, you can't get as much oxygen to your muscles. And so you just you fatigue really easily. And, you know, 20 to 50% of female athletes can be anemic and women are more likely to become anemic because they lose iron through menstrual bleeding. If you're postmenopausal, then you stop losing iron. So you would not need to take an iron supplement. But many um, of the women these days are not eating red meat, which is one of the best sources of iron. It's best absorbed. And so they knock out one of the best sources of iron. And many of them in their clean label eating have choose foods that are not enriched with iron. Um, and so they might have more all natural puffins or kashi as opposed to Cheerios or bran flakes. You know, your post Kellogg's uh, General Mills cereals are, are all enriched with iron as well as B vitamins. Your puffins, kashi, um, all natural things have nothing added to them. So no iron added to it. So if you're not eating red meat, you're not eating enriched cereal, where are you getting your iron? Um, iron is poorly absorbed from vegetables. Um, there is some iron that's in spinach, but it's very poorly absorbed. Cooking in a cast iron skillet is, is a source of iron. Um, but so that taking a multivitamin with iron can be a good idea. If you are anemic, you need a, a high dose of iron and you really wanna get your serum ferritin measured. 
that measures your iron stores. Your blood might be normal. Your, your hemoglobin hematocrit might be normal, but your iron stores might be depleted. And so if you're a runner experiencing like fatigue, that is like, why am I so tired? Um, you'd have to ask for this special blood test from your doctor, your serum ferritin. And if that is depleted, you really need a high dose of iron, su of iron supplementation to get you out of that hole. It's, you can't, it's really hard to do it nutritionally. Um, in terms of iron, the best time to take iron is either right before or right after you exercise. Um, the, the whole thing about calcium in iron is, um, I think it's not as big a deal as people are making it out to be. If you're taking high doses of calcium and high doses of iron at the same time, I probably wouldn't recommend that. But the amount of iron and calcium that's in food, um, I mean, if you're having milk on your iron-rich cereal, I wouldn't worry about that. Um, the, the data on calcium interfering with iron absorption is pretty weak data. So that's not the, when triaging, why are you iron deficient? I doubt if it's because of calcium in your diet. I think you'd be more likely because you're not eating red meat. Um, and if you don't eat red meat, then dark meat chicken or salmon, you know, darker, the darker the meat, the more iron that there is, the darker the vegetable, the more iron that there is. Um, you know, are you having an iron enriched foods? Um, so this is where working with a dietitian can be really helpful. Um, Cause if a lot of people don't want to eat red meat for whatever reason, and um, some of them don't want to have dairy. And then where do they get their calcium from? Oh, I take a calcium supplement. Well, it's really naive to think that a calcium supplement can compensate for a whole food group. Maybe you get calcium, but what about the vitamin D, the protein, the riboflavin, da, 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 da. I mean, little babies live on milk. It is life-sustaining. And um, it's, it's just really you know, almond juice is a real nutritional zero. It's, it's um, you know, almond juice with some fake calcium added to it, essentially. Um, if you're choosing almond juice, make sure you at least shake it up before you use it because the calcium will just settle down to the bottom and you won't get an even distribution of it. Um, the non-dairy alternative for um, milk is soy milk or pea milk. Ripple, because those are have more protein in them, and you know soy is more of a complete protein and it's a high quality protein. Um, the pea protein is also pretty good too. Um, but almond juice, oat juice, um, are really not nutritional swaps. Questions on that? Comments on that? So we had one of our runners, Kevin, asked a great question. Um, if you had to choose one prepackaged. Um, commercial kind of energy bar or something to carry with you on those days when you're just too busy, um, you need to throw something in the car, you need to bring something with you. Is there, is there something, is, do you have a go-to? Do you have something that you really like? Yeah, my peanut butter and honey sandwiches. Mm. You just slam them together. If I, back in the days when I traveled, um, you know, I'd, I'd take two or three peanut butter and honey sandwiches with me wherever I go on an airplane. And I just, you know, by day two or three, I was eating stale sandwiches, but heck, you're still better than a bar, <laughs> but that's just me. Uh, I think peanut butter is one of the best sports foods around. 
it's um, it's nourishing like a, 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 a tree grows out of a little nut, um, a plant, peanut plant grows out of a peanut so that there's nutrients in it. It's a good source of, um, you know, protein and iron and magnesium and, you know, lots of good nutrition. The fat in it is anti-inflammatory. It knocks down inflammation, um, but it's peanut butter is just yummy. And so healthy, yummy is what you want to look for. Um, and I happen to think that healthy, yummy peanut butter sandwich, even if it's stale, is tastier than something with a, from a wrapper. Um, in my sports nutrition guidebook, I have some really good homemade, um, like there's a super seedy granola bar that is yummy. You know, it's made with peanut butter and honey and oats and chia seeds and sunflower seeds. And I mean, you, you can also make homemade bars that are, that are delicious. Um, so if you want to go that route, I, I think, um, you know, of all the things that you want to think twice about is a lot of, is a lot of processed food. And a lot of these bars are really highly processed. I mean, protein powder is so highly processed um, and that we want really want the more natural, the better. And um, in terms of, um, you know, getting rid of packaging, but also in terms of weight management, there's really interesting research, like, why, why are so many people gaining weight? Is it because of carbs or fat or stress or whatever? And it's sort of coming down to, it's like this ultra processed food. And so many of these commercial sports foods or granola bars and things are, it's kind of like ultra processed, even though they have a health halo. Yeah. So that's my sermon for the day. Other questions? Katya asked, is peanut butter better than almond butter? Uh, peanut butter is certainly a lot cheaper than, less expensive than almond butter. So that's a matter of personal preference. Any, any nut butter is excellent. Any nut butter is excellent. Yeah. This is a good question we have from Lauren. She asks, do you suggest eating only when you feel hungry when not running? Or is it better to eat every four hours so you don't feel too hungry and overeat? Your body is your best calorie counter. If, and when, generally when people need to eat, they start thinking about food. So if you're thinking about food, it's probably because you're hungry. If we didn't think about food, we'd never think to eat. And so the body does an amazing thing. It's like when your body needs food, you start thinking about food. And um, many people these days just eat by the clock. Like it's, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning and it's like you've run in the morning, you had some breakfast, but by 11 o'clock you're hungry. But it's like, oh, I've got to wait till like 12 in order to eat. Well, if it's 11 o'clock in the morning and you got to pee, you say, oh no, I can't pee until noontime. No, you just pee. So eating is physiological. Eating, peeing, sleeping, breathing, it's all physiological. And your body can just, can, I mean, you want to eat like you did when you were a little tiny baby. You ate when you were hungry, you stopped when you were content. You weighed what you weighed, you never ran out of energy, food wasn't an issue, weight wasn't an issue, you were born with an excellent body, 
you still have an excellent body, you want to listen to your body, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're content. Generally, that can be every four hours. Like, uh, you know, I'll have breakfast at seven and then lunch at 11 and then second lunch at three and dinner at six or seven. Now, if I have breakfast at seven and by nine, I'm hungry, it just means I didn't eat enough breakfast. So I eat more. Um, but listen to your body and trust it. People disconnect. You know, 80% of fourth grade girls have been on a diet. So when you go on a diet, you don't eat when you're hungry and then you blow the diet and you don't stop when you're content. And then you, oh, I blew my diet. Then you go back on the diet and you don't eat when you're hungry. It just creates this terrible downward spiral of people disconnecting from their bodies and, and their hunger signals. So, you know, be, before you eat, you just wanna just turn inward. You know, does my body need this food? It's like, yeah, I'm hungry. And then you eat something then you go, yeah, I feel so much better now. I was hungry. But hunger isn't stomach growling. Stomach growling is too hungry. That's abusive. Um, but hunger is thinking about food. It's cold, tired, droopy, moody, unable to focus, easily irritated. So I look for hunger in my head. I mean, that's where I first experience hunger. By the time my stomach is growling, you know, you know, you're, I'm off the deep end. Um, and just pay attention what happens to when you get too hungry. I mean, do you want an apple? Uh-uh, you want apple pie. Um, and so getting too hungry leads to sweet cravings. And that's where people say, oh, I'm addicted to sugar. It's like, no, you're not addicted to sugar. You got too hungry. And the body's just craving quick energy. And runners get hungry marathoners get really hungry. So just honor hunger and trust your body, but fuel by day. And if you insist on losing weight, the only time to lose weight is at nighttime when you are sleeping. And the goal for weight loss is to wake up ready for breakfast. And if you wake up ready for breakfast, then you go, aha, I lost weight last night when I was sleeping. But you do not try to lose weight on a long run or on any run. You do not try to lose weight when you're working during the busy part of your day. You don't try to lose weight when you're taking care of your kids because you get too snappy and irritable. You lose weight, you fuel by day. And then at nighttime, you push yourself away from the dinner table. You eat. And as you're about to reach for more, you go, hmm, would I rather be leaner? Or I'd rather eat more. But I'd rather wake up ready for breakfast. And if you wake up hungry for breakfast, then you go, aha, lost weight last night when I was sleeping. But if you wake up with a food hangover, you go, oh yeah, I ate too much last night. So um, I can't even remember what the question was. Okay, but a related question that just came through and then we'll go back to Holly's question in a second, but is there a way to curb a sugar craving then if you know, is it, I mean, it sounds like that would be then to eat yeah. regularly and not get hungry. Yeah. The way to curb a sugar craving is to have a big breakfast. And it, actually, there's really interesting research. Um, the, they had people eat the same amount of calories, but one group had 
a 300 calorie breakfast and say like a 600 calorie dinner. And the other group had a 600 calorie breakfast and a lighter dinner. And when they had the 600 calorie breakfast, they had 300 calories of breakfast and then 300 calories of dessert. And that group over eight months lost 42 pounds. And the other group that had the smaller breakfast lost seven pounds. And the comments were, oh, when I had my chocolate mousse for breakfast, you know, I could go to the, the I mean, somebody could bring in donuts or cookies. And it's like, no, thanks. I've already had my chocolate mousse. They were, they were fed. So not only did they have a heartier breakfast, but they also, it, it resolved any sweet cravings or whatever. Um, so there's a lot to be said about front loading. And if you have a sweet tooth, it's just a sign that you, it, for the most part, it's a sign that you've gotten too hungry. So try having a high protein, have, have a big cheese omelet for breakfast with some toast and see what happens to your appetite the rest of the day. I mean, research shows that when people have eggs for breakfast, they tend to eat 200 calories less at the end of the day. I mean, it's amazing how a high protein breakfast will carry you the whole day. Um, so again, each person is an experiment in one, but I have solved many a sweet tooth just by having people eat more breakfast, more lunch. Most people can double their breakfast, double their lunch. And then all of a sudden their sweet cravings disappear and their nighttime eating disappears. And they're at peace with food because they aren't always, do I eat, don't I eat, oh no, I blew it again. Um, so working with a dietitian can help you to figure out what your calorie budget is. My sports nutrition guidebook has information on calories and figuring out how much you need and when to spend them and you know eating plans and stuff. So that would be another option for you. Thank you. And Nancy, just to your point, um, a lot of athletes feel like on rest days or when they're not running as long, they should cut back on their calories. What do you say to that? I would say that on the rest day, your muscles are busy refueling. And so when you train hard day after day after day, your glycogen stores go down. So the purpose of the rest day is not only to rest your muscles, but it's also to give your muscles the time that they need to refuel. It can take 24 to 48 hours to refuel. So just think after a long run. So you go for a long run on Saturday or Sunday. I mean, the next day you're probably really hungry. And maybe even the next day you will be hungry until your muscles are fully fueled. And, and I really learned this the, the summer before I went back to grad school, I was biking cross country. There were a group of us that we, we bike cross country. So, you know, I, I just doubled my food intake when we were, when we were biking and the, the bike trip ended and the next day I was sitting in graduate school, sitting all day and I was eating like a biker. Um, and I go, whoa, this is gonna be a problem. And the second day I was still hungry, but by the second day evening, ugh, I didn't feel like eating at all. I mean, it was just in the third day, ugh, I mean, I was just, I just wasn't hungry um, because my muscles were fully fueled. And it was just, such a up close and personal experience of how the body can regulate this. Hunger is simply a request for fuel. I burned off what you gave me, may I please have some more? And when you honor that, the body can manage the right intake of fuel, believe it or not. It's a trust issue. 
Thank you. That was that was a great answer. We appreciate that. So we'll wrap up with uh, one final question, and that's from Holly. Um, Holly asks, potentially taboo, what is your perspective of alcohol during a training cycle? Likely won't help performance, though is there a strategic time to drink if you're going to str strategically enjoy a glass or two? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing about alcohol is that there's really nothing wrong with a glass or two or wine. Um, it's alcohol abuse that's the problem. It's calories in alcohol, but also the calories in the munchies when you've lowered your defenses, you know, if weight is the issue. So, you know, to have a glass of wine is, it's, it's a non-issue. To have the bottle of wine is another story because, um, you know, high intake of alcohol can be dehydrating. So we kind of have to look at the context of, of alcohol. Um, something like beer, there's so much water contents in beer that beer isn't really dehydrating um, so that you can actually rehydrate on beer, should I say, if you wanted to. But um, if you're optimizing, then I wouldn't say that a steady alcohol diet is gonna optimize much of anything. <laughs> and it's, that's just common sense, yeah. Well, that's Nancy, you are always such a practical and um, informed and uh, resource for us. And we really appreciate all of your guidance. And we will um, be sure to circulate to everyone the recording of the call and also information on how to get in touch with Nancy. And we sent around her website earlier, um, the name of her book, definitely um, her, her recipes. We know a lot of you are using. So um, if you're looking for some options to, you know, to, to, to some new options to add to your, your diet and your repertoire, they're certainly, they're, they're healthy and they're nourishing. Um, so and Nancy, yummy. really, and yummy, exactly. The most important yummy. and yummy, the banana bread that uh, Nicole is making looked absolutely delicious. So, it, it, it is, uh, it's my aunt's recipe. It's in, been in every single of one of my books because it is so popular. Yeah, it sounds delicious. We're already looking up and going to make it here too. So thank you so much. Thanks to everybody for joining us. We'll post the recording of this call um, in your calendars if you know anyone joined late or had to miss part of it. But, um, but again, Nancy, thank you so much. And uh, we hope to see you when we're in Boston. I was <laughs> going to say good luck to everybody and, and enjoy Boston. Yep. Thank, thank you, Nancy. You were terrific. We really appreciate you oh, doing this for pleasure. us tonight. My All right. Pleasure. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye, bye everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.